Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg, and my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Professor. I keep giving you that professor so that you can have two things like Michael. Right. Um, Jason Oakland, and we are excited to be together, getting the band together here. I've missed you guys. Uh, I wanted you guys to know that. It's been a while since I've seen you. What was it? It was uh, Today's Friday. I think it was Wednesday. It has been a while. And uh, <laughs> the semester ended, and we just don't. It's been two days. The semester ended, and go, we just don't get to go, see each other as much. I can much. go four or five days during the semester not seeing you. And uh, we have an office next door to we each kinda other. See, we almost always see each other, at least passing. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be back together after this time. Right. Apart. Uh, we have wrapped up the semester. We have had finals and grades and commencement. Michael, you are now done at the high school too, are you not? Yeah, and I just put my grades in. I just got done an hour ago and everybody nice. got their stuff in. So I just went boom, boom, boom. Done. Nice. Nice. So we are winding down and making our way into the summer. Um, and uh, we're hoping to keep up a good recording schedule. I know Jason's going to be in St. Louis for a while. Michael and I are going to be different places presenting. Um, but we hope to keep up pretty steady with that. Um, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org. Check out all the good stuff that they're doing there. They have a new podcast, Tough Text, with Scott Keith uh, and Dan Price. That you can check out free academy courses, publishing house. You can go buy Michael's book on any given Sunday, or you can go to MPH and buy a, um, the Baptismal Life mm-hmm. book. Buy both. Just buy both the books. Go ahead and do it. Uh, by the way, shout out to um, Judith Schmidt from Dresden. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that she's going to translate the uh, vocation book Auf Deutsch. Nice. So, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Good deal. See if it works out. Yeah. We could have have Jason do it just past his uh, German uh, exam for PhD work. So I'm sure he's he's fully equipped. Yeah. Although, to do so as well. (laughs) Although, I would imagine a, a resident of Germany. Might have just a little bit better grasp. I don't know. You nailed it. I was the proctor. And <laughs> That's he, true. Yeah. Uh, That's true. He did a very good job. Um, I was very proud of him. But she had emailed me and uh, very thoughtful about, like, how do you put these context, uh, concepts into to German? And she had listened to our uh, your your speech on um, our podcast on the Bennett Law mm-hmm. and how it's very difficult, right, to have take one theological concept from one language to another. And she's like, yeah. And she listed a word or two that I used in English. She's like, I'm not quite sure how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so thoughtful. It proved English can do some theological thoughtful. stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think mine was so shallow that they're like, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's <laughs> translating. Because I used looking for more richness. Right. So I had used. <laughs> the concept of like working in God's economy of love. Like he's uh-huh. in, this is, he's got all this working together. And she said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure <laughs> about that in, in German just yet. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, we thank her for that. We'll see if it works out. I, um, I also want to thank, uh, our esteemed colleague here at Wisconsin Lutheran college. The, uh, the professor was almost said Reverend, um, Jeremy Zima. For sending us, uh, I have to say, I, I said we were going to get um, either a lot of love or hate for the Wells Connection stuff, and uh, I do have to say it's been all love so far, so haters, if you want to get your hate in, you should do so 
um, the love people have been winning out. And uh, let me just say that's only encouraging me. So Jeremy sent uh, three yeah, I'm words. Yeah, pretty, pretty sure the haters would encourage you more. <laughs> yeah. The um, Jeremy sent me three uh, phrases. If you haven't listened to the episode where we went a little nuts with the Wells Connection, we're going to try to do better. I'm still working with Ben to get a clip, Michael, so you're going to have to put up with the loop a bit. Uh, but Ben found an old song that's familiar to many of us of a certain age in the Wisconsin Synod. and We love the Wisconsin Synod. Go Wells. Fire up. Um, the uh, Wells Connection that used to play at the beginning of, or the um, Come to the Wells, which used to play at the beginning of the Wells Connection, which was a video about uh, stuff going on in Synod. You've made the Wells Connection, have you not, Michael? Mm. Weren't you interviewed at seminary? Um, you had it as a picture. Where you were being. Yeah, but I don't know that that was in the Wells Connection. Oh. Jason, have you ever made the Wells Connection? No, I have not. I think they did like clips from the leadership conference. Okay, could be. Yeah. I have not made. I think Michael did make it. We will have to. If anybody is able to fact check that for me, <laughs> um, I would appreciate. It. But why don't we go? Uh, we also are going to have some from from Mr. Seeger from Wisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that we can use later. But uh, theoretically, and this both is of them need to, by the way, come in and and sign their portraits. Here. Yes, they do. Um, so, uh, Jason, why don't you go ahead and read yours first, and we will, if you didn't listen to the previous, what we're doing is there's certain just phrases that are popular in the Wisconsin Synod. Um, some of them are phrases that are super helpful. We're back, back in that era, yeah, especially. Yes. Especially that era. Um, some of them are uh, ones that, they're, they're not bad, they're maybe a little hulky sometimes, we use some fun ones that way. Um, but some are uh, just biblical things, but we say them a lot, and so... If you're Wells, they'll, they'll maybe ring a bell. If you're not Wells, but you've met Wells people, maybe you've gone, hey, they, that's a little different. They say that a lot, not in a bad way, um, but just in a, in a Wells way. It's adiaphora. There's another word. I'm not going to play the song yet, though. Um, but, uh, Jason, could you go ahead and read yours, please? God's word in its truth and purity. Michael, I'm just going to let it loop. Would you like to read yours, please? This is straight from the Bible. But yes. These are biblical. Speaking the truth in love. Come to the wells for the living water and the living world. So uh, I did encourage listeners to share phrases, and I thought those were good. And so I wanted to go ahead and use them. We will put them on the board. Um, so when Professor Zimma comes to sign his... Um, picture on the wall of, what are we calling this? The, the wall of gas? Yeah, I don't know what, like, a, if you go the to door a, of gas, a restaurant that has famous people. Especially like an Italian or a Greek restaurant. Right, yeah. I don't know what the, if there's a word for like that. Like a Coney Island. Yeah. It's um, kind of like, you know, a wall of fame, but uh, I don't know if. A door of fame, maybe? The door of fame. Although, maybe, uh, you know, would they consider it fame or would they consider it infamy? I don't know. That's maybe notoriety. Notoriety that 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 might work. Yeah. Um, so we thank him for that. We I'll I'll work in uh, Mr. Seegers if I remember a little bit um, later. But we do thank uh, them for their contributions. Um, what we're talking about today, and I'm going to lean on Michael today, and I say that and I'm going to try not. That means I'm going to try not to do all the talking. So we'll see. At the end, we'll circle back and see if I succeeded. Um, but we, uh, we're coming to the summer. 
And we've had some summers lately in America, right? <laughs> um, times when um, things can become a little bit uh, tense. Um, we we've had we have an anniversary of um, the George Floyd incident, um, and people can right they fall various places on what happened then, but also on what transpired after. Um, we have uh, war in Ukraine. We have people stepping into elections that are going to get more heated. Um, we've got fights about um, gender identity, sexuality. Uh, um, we've got debates about you name it, right? And uh, we're at a time when the temps get hot. And uh, for some reason, summers are good times for other things to to boil over. Um, but we also have what came to my mind as I came up with this episode um, as I was listening to Michael on a podcast, but it wasn't my podcast, mm. but I was very proud of him. Uh, he was on uh, Soul of Christianity and with, uh, with our friends, uh, Dan and Debbie, and uh, Soul of Christianity drops all their episodes all at once. Uh, and so this was, was this season five, do you remember, Michael? Sounds right. Um, and it's pretty good. I've listened through a fair amount of it. Pretty good season. Uh, Paul's all wrapped it up. I listened to that one. I listened to Michael's. Um, and when he was on um, Soul of Christianity, something came up about vocation, and because uh, they were talking about his vocation book, um, but a specific point he made about vocation that I think is very helpful. And so to frame it, I want to give uh, what came to my mind when I listened to Michael uh, making this point. And that's in ethics. Uh, at the end of the semester, I use a portion from uh, Dostoevsky's The Grand Inquisitor, which is a short section from the longer uh, The Brothers K, the big novel, Karmazov or whatever, um, about these Russian brothers, and, and they're each meant to kind of represent something about the Russian spirit, right? Um, you have the sensualist, you have like the socialist, you have... Um, Alyosha wants to be a monk. Uh, there's this variety and this kind of interesting father. Um, but in the Grand Inquisitor section, you have what I think are the, the two mo most interesting brothers are having a discussion, which is Ivan and Alyosha. And Ivan's a political, like, we need this grand political revolution. Think, you know, um, you know, before we have the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, but this kind of, like, draw to, like, socialist, rev uh, you know, revolution. Um, Eliosha wants to become a monk, and like he just loves Jesus and other people. He's he's probably everybody. If you read, everybody thinks he's naive, he's childlike, um, and you can tell Ivan really loves him as as well. And they're having this conversation, and Ivan's talking about all the problems in the world. He tells these terrible stories of things that have happened to children. He then also then tells this um, parable. I'm trying to. Um, this account he's come up with of the Grand Inquisitor and Jesus comes back in Spain and this Jesuit condemns him because, right, the church has given people, he's kind of just going to the Jesuits there, but um, <laughs> the church now is about giving people safety and bread, not freedom. Um, and I've read before, and, and I, I believe it's probably true, that Dostoevsky was reading some Luther before this, and Dostoevsky does not praise Luther, right? Um, but I almost wonder if some Luther rubbed off with the freedom talk. Um, and, uh, and the Grand Inquisitor's point is that people can't handle freedom. And then you can understand why Ivan would make arguments for like grand sweeping big government change. But, 
um, as Ivan and Alyosha are talking, um, at the at the end of the Grand Inquisitor, Christ kisses the Grand Inquisitor. Right? Um, he he uh, he loves him, even though he's going to oversee his execution. At the end of the story, Alyosha kisses Ivan, and Ivan says that's plagiarism. But mm-hmm. Alyosha sees Ivan, and uh, and so this is uh, as Ivan is talking to Alyosha, and he's making his case about. Um, all the terrible things uh, in Russia and in the world. Um, he says to Alyosha, I could never understand how one can love one's neighbors. It's just one's neighbors to my mind that one can't love, though one might love those at a distance. And later on, it, he continues, For anyone to love a man, he must be hidden. For as soon as he shows his face, love is gone. Um, he continues on, to my thinking, Christ-like love for men is a miracle impossible on earth. He was God, but we are not gods. And then finally, um, one can love one's neighbor in the abstract or even at a distance, but at close quarters, it's almost impossible. And so if I can make this connection, then I'm, I'm going to largely throw it to Michael and Jason, hopefully today, because i uh, I don't want to chase rabbit holes on this or get on a bully pulpit. Um, but uh, we're, I guess what I would like us to get at today um, is when it comes to the Christian life and what Christ calls us to do, and I know in talking before, Jason, you hit on some of this, what we mean by someone is our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh and we, we live in the world as both citizen and as Christian, right? Um, we're Christian citizen, uh, but um, citizen is a vocation. And then we have various other vocations that were Christian, those things too. I think we can easily become paralyzed or distracted um, or... Um, to taken up with the abstract, the at a distance, the great cause, right? The temptation even to make neighbor just cause, almost in a medieval way, as the as um, the church would say, you need the poor to take your alms to heaven. That we can turn mm-hmm. neighbor even w- without meaning it into cause. They're going to be our means for righteousness because we're on their side. We're an ally, where whatever term we want to use, um, in a day and age where uh, this is, uh, I would say, I mean, the prevailing approach to things is the grand sweeping cause, and um, I think this is is true on about every side of the political aisle, um, and you know, even fringes to the middle, uh, that we're we're just gonna legislate our ways out of things or we're going to protest our way out of things or you know you name it um we're going to the the grand scheme um and as far as my actual neighbor who now i have less contact with than before is often maybe just on a screen um (laughs) someone i don't even know um gets lost uh, in in the mix and so we can be left to say, well, what do I do? How then shall I live? Um, what, what difference can I make? Uh, 
what I would like us to talk about today is how Christ and the gospel, and I would say Paul, right? Both Christ and Paul came in into an empire that had all sorts of causes that they could have jumped on. Um, it wasn't a democracy, but there was all sorts of uh, legislation they could have called for. Um, and in fact, Jesus is again and again asked to do just that, right? To lead a cause. Um, what is the gospel, and especially this this Lutheran distinctive, this teaching on vocation, um, what does this have to speak to such a situation, to such a time, um, to put faces on people, to unburden consciences, and to maybe, just maybe, set us free to do some good? Um, and and, and not, not good that we're gonna, we have to feel the need to measure or to advertise. Uh, so I, that's my preface, and uh, Michael, maybe I can throw it to you first. I don't know how well I explained it, um, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to spend most of the episode listening, but I would like to get your guys' thoughts. Yeah, initially, um, maybe it started on a very shallow, well, let me start with one thing first. Uh, it is hard to love somebody who is right next to you, right? It's also, the converse is true too. It's easier to hate somebody from a distance. Yeah, but those yep. are different kind, different kinds of love and hate. But uh, let's start with a shallow. If if you're maybe having trouble understanding, let's start with something shallow. Uh, uh, infatuation, the idea you fell in love with the idea of love, and then you you know you're you're swept up by this romantic love, and then then you spend some time together, mm. and then uh, somebody. Uh, goes to the bathroom and stinks it up. Somebody has bad breath. Um, and uh, then you realize you needed, that wasn't love that you had, right? And so that's a, it's a very shallow way to, to think about it. But to expand that, um, it's, you can get really involved in the idea of, yes, we are going to love this group of people. Why would you not? Um, but then to actually do something for an actual flesh and bone person, that's hard, right? Because you have to die to yourself for that person. Um, this can be something like, okay, we need to do something about homelessness and uh, mental disorders. Those two things often go hand in hand. We need to solve that problem. And how... Why haven't we done that, right? How could you not love those people? And then you get closer and maybe you you throw a five spot to the guy who's got his hand out, okay? And then maybe on Thanksgiving, you do something really righteous and you don't have a Thanksgiving day meal at your home, but you serve at the soup kitchen for a day. Feel pretty darn good about yourself. But those who are on the front lines of these things, who are dealing with people who have perhaps been given quite a few, uh, handouts is not the right word, but opportunities and resources, and then waste those resources precisely because they are maybe mentally ill and having to be tough and having to say, no, I, can't, I have to say no to you because you've taken advantage of this so many times 
and there's only so many beds in this in this hospital. There's so many only beds in this shelter. Like, it's really abstract, right, for people and just to love unconditionally those people. But it can be, uh, it can beat you down when you actually have to deal with the person who is no longer just the object of your pity, but a person who actually is just as sinful as everybody else. They just happen to have whatever it is, a condition, there's a situation of maybe not of their own doing that they're in where they kind of got the, the raw end of the deal, right? And But they're just as sinful as the person um, who maybe took advantage from another point of view and doesn't need your help, right? And you can, you can think about like in this in any, any industry and any vocation, right? Uh, you know, we have, we have um, wives that at one time or another taught little kids and they love them, right? And it's just so adorable and wonderful. And how could you not love these little kids? Well, you know, talk to me the second week of September, <laughs> right? And it can, be, it can be very, very difficult. And from the outside, yeah, it's easy to love. It's very difficult when they have a face, when they have a face. Um, so, and then that, that gets spread out more when it comes to great political causes or cultural fights, you know, where um, you are for sure on the righteous side of things. But how does that get played out in actual policy, that's when it becomes very difficult when you actually have to be uh, wonkish about it or whatever. And uh, I think what you're after, Wade, is there is a pretty obvious uh, tendency in our culture right now, as you said, on any at any point in the spectrum, including what I'm saying right now, <laughs> right? To say, this is the way it should be. I can't understand why people would not be that way. And I'm going to go way out of my way to make sure that you know that I am sad for this and that I self-flagellation, right? And I like that concept of uh, kind of a medieval monk uh, whipping himself so that he, because he knows that he is sinful and that he has, he has been privileged maybe and he has not done all the prayers and all the all the things that he should have done and luther called that out because that that there that doesn't help the neighbor one darn bit right that does not help in fact it's insulting and i'll end with this and then we'll go to jason your idea of using people uh i played with that a little bit that if i help a little old lady across the street to get uh so that i can get into heaven um First of all, the little old lady gets across the street. That's fine. If you're good at your job, hopefully. Yeah, the outcome <laughs> is good for her. So if you if you give a million dollars to the soup kitchen, um, the million dollars still gonna it still spends. Even though you you didn't you didn't see the face of the people, it still spends. But if you do that, and this is theology of glory, theology of cross stuff, if you do that in order to be right with God yourself, so the definition of self-righteousness. You have used that person. And you don't use people, you use objects, so you have misused them. We may even go so far 
although this word has baggage to it, abuse them. And I think there's a very strong tendency to here to um, say, okay, this, this group of people has gotten, gotten a raw deal. And so I'm going to pretend like nobody knew this or was even thinking about it for the last 200 years. And I'm the first one who's going to get out and say, this needs to be fixed, right? And to, to cry tears for yourself and then to whip yourself that you haven't done more than you haven't done. People who speak that way, I would almost guarantee are not people who are actually on the front lines of dealing with the with the, the myriad and complicated problems that is our society. Pick any problem you want, right? Pick pick any debate you want: abortion, guns, uh, poverty, uh, housing. Pick any debate you want. These are all very complicated, right? And there are clear right and wrong, right? But if I, if, I, if I just cry my tears of self-flagellation and then go back to my home and uh, shake my finger at other people, um, that's, I think, what you're after, Wade, is that this, this not, this, these aren't real people to them. This is an abstract. And if you get into the real people, you feel like there, there are some self-inflicted wounds here too, right? And uh, it's, just, it's just hard. And I would argue, again, I'm, I'm going on a limb here, and, and so to be and rightfully maybe be criticized, but people who are, have gotten the raw deal, look at those crocodile tears and um, either are insulted by that, roll their eyes at that, or play along for, because they know they need the game. <laughs> and will admit that in a very real way. Um, and, and so just, you're, you're your, your tears don't, it's kind of like my thoughts and prayers are with you. My thoughts, prayers, and tears are with you. You can keep them. Yeah. And I, I think we're, um, and I'll throw it to you, Jason, but we're at graduation season. We had commencement here. We have, um, I have a, a son graduating here tomorrow um, for high school. And graduation season comes with the graduation speeches. And I have to say, I really enjoyed our commencement speakers, both student and um uh, Pastor Colander, who spoke here, at, they really did a good job. It's and it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah, you're, what you're gonna get. <laughs> but we all know kind of the like the packaged graduation speech where you're gonna inspire the kids, and what are you gonna inspire them with? They're gonna do these grand things. They're gonna change the world. Most of us know that's not the case, right? Um, but you you might you you might do some very significant little things mm. and you might help be change for some individual people um and i think sometimes as as you were getting at and, and just to help you know indicate yes this is what I, i'm thinking too there's um there's a really interesting book i remember reading in grad school about the the um the uh, the desert fathers and they they had gone out these monks go out to the wilderness and uh, um, and they then realize sin has come with them and they're in their caves and so what do they have to do to uh, 
wrestle with the sin is they externalize it, and so right they put it on demons. And this is not an unbiblical thing to say that there's these different demons, temptations I have, um, but they found it uh, helpful um, often to externalize it. We can do that in good and bad ways where we sometimes externalize concepts to address it. We can talk about um, sweeping things. And let's just use system because it's a word that comes up all the time. We love to talk about systemic things. Michael and I both teach classes where we talk about systemic things. Um, There are things in our culture that we can say have been, there's systems in place. And systems are sometimes very good and sometimes very bad. Um, But they're often, um, I think more than we might suspect, (laughs) rather neutral, and they're just good or bad policy. Um, But there there are systems that have been bad, but maybe more going into it than we, we think as well. And it's good to realize, okay, there are some things that are big sweeping things that are outside of individual control. Um, but when we externalize things and we just put it on the system, then I become uh, either unable to act because what difference can I make, um, or I become somehow like conveniently absolved. Yep, I've, I've, after my self-flagellation, I absolve myself. Right. And, um, and it's, it's, it's not what the gospel does, which is an outside word spoken to you, but also... Um, is a word spoken to you because there's, it, it tells you a truth about the world. Um, this is a fallen world and you're a fallen sinner in need of grace. And so rather than looking at the policy, the sweeping, the system in this way of like, we have to fix this in an almost like naive utopian sense of like, and then we will usher in. Um, sometimes we're able to be reminded this world is fallen, it's messy, and it's dirty, and there's no way I'm going to love or serve without getting messy or fallen or, or dirty, um, that there's nothing in this world that hasn't been touched by sin. Even the best things. Um, even God himself, when he came to earth in his incarnation, um, didn't get a workaround for sin. He who had no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, yes, you know, with what you're getting at, and, and you said it better than me, um, that is part of what I have in mind is that we not, um, that, we, that, we, that we almost, it's, in, it's, a, it's, it's more a Greek view than a Christian view. It's more like a Plato-Aristotle view than a Christian view of like we'll fix the polis if we can just teach people well enough and have the right policy. Um, but where the Christian is actually set free for service is, is knowing it's never going to be perfect. But, you know, well, um, uh, WTH, I won't say the word, I'll go ahead and, and, and try to love nonetheless. Yeah, and this is kind of a side note, but when we think about policy, um, you know, you cannot divorce it from ideology. But at the same time, you really should try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because... I think there are, are there are ideologies that get in the way of not only truth but of like a workable solution, right? Uh, it can get in the way of a good utilitarianism, if I can stretch a word there, mm-hmm. right? So uh, let me just give you an example that'll tick off a lot of people. But um, you know, you can be so tied to this uh, free market capitalistic mindset that uh, um, 
and, and the idea of like a Protestant work ethic, that you end up um, being the exact opposite of you want. So think of health care. Should we have universal health care or not? We already have it. <laughs> like they don't turn away sick people, generally speaking. Someone's paying for that, right? It, it gets passed on, whether it be from taxes, whether it be, um, you know, through your insurance premiums or whatever. Well, if you're truly going to be like this business-minded kind of person, there are plenty of times when you do something for the effective efficiency, which is a capitalism, like plank in capitalism, even if it goes against your ideology and maybe even morality. I am going to settle this court case even though I know I'm right because it's cheaper to do that than pay the lawyers or to take a hit from the from the the from a PR standpoint or to have it drag out forever and slow down our ability to yeah. operate so um, I think there are times when you could say um, I, I'm holding on to an ideology maybe it is you know don't tell me what to do and or you work for what you get we don't do handouts in America we end up paying more for it right and that can be applied to a lot of different things so just kind of a, a sort of a side note to that uh, politics <laughs> the 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 Polish should work as best it can mm -hmm. and when the polis is more about an ideology than it is about serving the neighbor, that's a little bit, that's that's problematic. And and maybe along those lines, then we really should throw it to um, to Jason. I think this is a particular um, challenge for American Christianity uh, because the Bible says lots of things about... Uh, what is good for my neighbor? It says lots of things that Christians should want to do. And sometimes we can um, politicize those things, right? So um, it's pretty clear the Bible wants us to care for the poor. I mean, do we all agree on that? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. No, um, I'm pretty sure it said <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. But sometimes, no, you know. is that not in the yeah. Yeah. That's not in the Bible. But we can sometimes think about that, and then our mind immediately goes to policy. And in a two-party system, right, this is what then becomes the challenge as we think about how can the polis do this, is, well, when you only have two parties, then you go, okay, so this is the one that wants to help the poor. Yeah. Now, they both want to help the poor to some degree. They just have different ways of how they think they'll be helped. But then you go, but then the Bible also um, says things about life being sacred okay what's the party that's 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 better on life being and then, okay well and within a two-party system we think like okay i'm supposed to pick one party and then their platform is just my platform mm -hmm. and uh so what i end up doing is again a very medieval catholic thing i end up ranking both sin but also god's um like what are the cardinal virtues like and we make them cardinal political virtues. And all the meanwhile, uh, you have individual churches sometimes that are like, well, we're just in a community that has a lot of poor people. So here's some stuff we're going to try to do to, to like to, to try to help them. Um, and you know what? We're in an area where um, there are, um, it's very 
there's people struggling to raise their children. And so we're going to try to do these things to help families, um, to in, encourage uh, families to uh, choose life and, and raise them. And there are things that are happening, and I think we sometimes forget that too. I was recently reminded of that. Um, there's just a lot that's not even on our radar that's happening. Um, but the in like the the sweeping view takes you right to politics. And so you miss the step of seeing faces. Um, but it also, in America, takes you right to politics in a way that you're going to have to, um, you're just going to have to pick what's your issue because you feel like you can't, right, there's nowhere to go to navigate otherwise. Um, and in that way, it probably makes us poorer citizens and voters um, on the whole uh, than we we could be. Um, so, I, I mean, I think sometimes maybe just think about that when you're reading the scriptures and, and Paul inevitably gets into the second half of his letter and he gives you like a list. Um, just look at that and... and Tell yourself, I'm going to pause before I, I'm just going to think faces at first. And then I'm going to pause before I, I go abstractions and, uh, you know, before I go the Ivan route. Um, all right, I'll shut up again, Jason. We'll throw it to you. You look very, would you agree, Michael, he looks very pensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a, a lot of things that, uh, you know, run through your mind. Um in talking about some of these things, I think um, maybe to go back a little bit to the, you know, big picture, um, more close to home type of thing, you know, and, and I think some of that, uh, you know, Luther, the Luther quote about um, we are Christ's with or without the apostrophe. Uh, in that, you know, we belong to Christ, right? That's kind of the one side of it. But yet at the same time, we are to be a Christ uh, in our life for others. And I think when you get caught, so caught up in the big picture things uh, and think, how is it that I am going to solve racism? How is it that I am going to solve poverty? How is it that I am going to solve, um, you know, whatever your, you know, big, big ism or issue is? Family, family issues. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, Life issues, yep. Yep, and, and again, maybe some view things, view, some maybe look at the scope bigger than others too. Uh, and it goes back to that, um, you know, uh, abstract without a face type of neighbor and uh, you say well this is you know I'm going to show love in this way or maybe I don't even know how to be loving in this way because it's such a big thing I think uh, then we maybe get a little bit confused and think uh, you know to to twist that Luther quote a little bit to say you know um, not we are Christ's but we are the the saviors um, and this idea that um, with and without the apostrophe that we not only belong to Jesus the Savior but we have to be the Savior um, for uh, in this cause or for this group um, and I I don't think this will shock anybody but none of us are equipped to be a Savior right 
Uh, and if we, if we think that's what, if we think that's what God is calling us to do, um, we've all, we're, we're already failing, right? Because we'll never be able to, to meet that. Yeah, calling has a neighbor and it's right in front of you and it has a face. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that, and I think with that too, and then we'll go right back to you. Yeah. I, I like what you're getting at, Jason, is, um, as I think too, well, what do I do about these things? Well, sometimes those things aren't the neighbor that God's put in front of you. Yeah. You know, I, I might live um, in a place and a time with neighbors who, um, I have the neighbors I have. So I, uh, I'm i going to love those neighbors in that place. And uh, and so, for instance, um, uh, I, I definitely have, um, you know, thoughts and concerns for uh the city of Milwaukee and the challenges that Milwaukee faces and the various children of Milwaukee and the challenges they face. Uh, God has called Michael's wife um, <clears throat> to deal with that in a way <coughs> that he has in me. Uh, God sends her however many children a year um, and says, these are your neighbor. Uh, he, I, I'm in a college classroom and I have whoever comes and we might be encountering different places. I don't have to like she doesn't have to, and I don't have to go seek what the other has, right? We're not doing lesser because of that either. Uh, we have the people that we've been given where we're at, and I would guess often that's that's really more than enough if we focused on it. But sorry, go ahead. With, with your yeah, point. and I think the other thing when, as we narrow, you know, again, putting that face on neighbor and maybe also that idea of recognizing that when I see that um, face in a neighbor, maybe that that then also maybe sharpens my understanding of my own vocations as well, right? Um, to say that um, maybe it's not, you know, um, you know, I'm maybe my maybe my vocation calls me to um, teach my children about you know the my my own children. Um, about some of the complexities of, of this issue and equip them to to help those uh, in front of them as well. Um, maybe that's and maybe it maybe part of that is that you know I um, am more uh, mindful myself of looking for those opportunities. But I think that uh, there are plenty of those you know because um, even that I think you know sometimes it is well what does that mean for me you know when I go home, what does that mean for me um, with the, the neighbor across this, that, that's right across the yard yeah. or the, or the street? Um, baked what is, beans. Yeah. Baked beans. Right. Yeah. What does that mean for me um, in my place of employment and, and some of those type of things. And, and I think along with that is when my focus is on serving those who are closest to me, you know, in that, that, um, closest circle of the vocations that I have, um, the neighbors that I most directly impact, um, that maybe also, because um, this kind of, the, the, the bigger scope thing, and I think this goes back to what we were saying too, is that it's so easy to get caught up in the savior complex and the, the theology of glory side that that, that idea of am I really doing this for those neighbors or or is it for myself mm -hmm. where the closer you are to 
the, the closer you are in contact to that neighbor that you're, that you're serving in whatever that calling is, um, again, you know, directs you very much to them, you know, and maybe nobody, no, maybe nobody else knows what you do or sees what you do or, you know, um, they're not going to send a news crew, you know, because, um, <laughs> you, you know, and I mean, and, and if that's kind of, if you're just looking to um, make yourself feel better or if you're, if you're looking for, for validation Your neighbor's not from others, for you. yeah, that, you know, this is something that you maybe need to examine a little bit, you, you know, not only your own vocations, but maybe also the, the motives that you have for wanting wanting to help yeah maybe if i can use an illustration from our own synod and um i won't play the wells connection because i'm making a serious point (laughs) uh we recognize as a church body that not everyone can um be a pastor or a teacher or a missionary you know Mm -hmm. go into all the world stuff like that and so individual congregations uh, have cmo they give to the synod um to support ministerial ed uh, but also to um, support missions. Well, they also give for Christian aid and relief um, for a variety of things because we recognize not all of us can do that, but we can support people in doing so. One of the things I think that our Senate has gotten much better at in recent history, and I'm, I'm very appreciative for this, and I think um, uh, it's also led to um, wonderful relationships that WLC has been able to, I think, cultivate with our church body and, and church leaders and ministerium, um, we rightly, it's a good thing, encourage young people uh, to consider ministry. The church needs uh, called workers. Um, we had called a yesterday at the seminary. I won't play the Wells Connection song. <laughs> There's just not enough right now. My own parents' church, um, this was yeah. their second try, still didn't get someone. We need that. But I think one of the things that we've gotten better at is also telling our kids, but we, we also need lay people, and we need them just as much. We, we need a college to train church workers, but we, but we also see value in, in people getting four years and coming out with a liberal arts degree or professional studies degree. To go and, out and save the world? No, to, to go out, yep, exactly, <laughs> and to serve in those ways, and then to yeah. be um, part of the body of Christ wherever they're at um, to support ministry and, and to carry out work as they are able, and that they all have value. And I think what that's done is I think there's maybe less guilt among some who almost feel bad if they don't go into to ministry. Mm-hmm. The danger I see societally happening, um, and, and here this goes back to, uh, Michael, you also talking with Debbie, and you um, talked about using John Pless's phrase that may you know or may not be his too, he said to you, um, but kind of this like neo-monasticism, this this new desire to think um, that I need to go, I need to to go into a certain field or do a certain thing, um, in order to be righteous, in order to be holy, in order um, uh, to be just, and perhaps the the healthier route is the route that Luther took. And here I'll I'll throw it to you again, Michael, on vocation, but the route that Luther took of of rather um, offering dignity and um, showing the uh, importance of the everyday vocations that many people already find themselves in. We talked on the travel winging it session the other day, Jason, about how 
you can still see, like, even though Germany's in many ways lost its its meaningful Protestantism, right? Um, you still see vocation when you see how seriously um, people take uh, their jobs, um, the dignity which with with which these jobs are, are carried out, especially some jobs that here are a job you do while you're in college or or whatever else. Yeah. At least would be tempted to be looked down upon right. on, in, in our country. Right. It's not purely, well, what's the salary? Right. Um, and so maybe what the, the church ought to be doing, um, and maybe the real value of the church in this moment for speaking um, to the culture, is, is to, to be able to offer, offer people freedom in in this area too of saying our ascended lord is and will use you and he will bring to you your neighbor and he will put you in in places and you are absolved prematurely from all of the the guilt and the sense of obligation the need to be savior that can come and all of us in our vocations, when we really get burnt out, isn't it because we're trying to be Savior? We have, we have taken them too seriously, if that makes sense. And we've forgotten what a, what a light and easy, what a joy God means them to be in the sense of it doesn't depend on us. He just gets a kick out of using us <laughs> in a good way. Um, and so maybe, Michael, you could um, hit on a little bit and I encourage people to really to go and listen to that um, Soul of Christianity episode and, and the whole podcast. But Michael's episode was very good. Um, the uh, can we can we maybe just for our listeners, if they're not as familiar, connect gospel justification and vocation, and how that runs counter to right this this inner like neo monastic in us. That is that is that is tempted to think I need to either withdraw or I need to en- enter the super righteous um, office or estate. Sure. Let's start with the basics. If uh, I'm in a vertical ethical relationship with God, I have to do something in order for Him to bless me. Uh, double tragedy because I can't do that and I don't have to. Right. So. If I'm freed from that burden, what am I supposed to do with all my time and energy? Well, love your neighbor. Now I'm in a horizontal ethical relationship with those who are around me. Now, some of the, the, the criticisms against uh, Luther and the doctrine of vocation usually run along this same theme. Well, then people will just be stuck in their jobs. They have no ability to move, um, or, or it, it's almost wrong if they would have social mobility um you're just doing your job and then you're 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 not fighting for justice and 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 change in the world Uh, it's the exact opposite right god gives you different callings at different times and you shouldn't feel guilty about moving those callings and people in let's say your boss or the board or whatever their vocation is to give you the ability to move up or to move you in a place that fits better for you Right, that so that I, I'm going to sweep that criticism as, as kind of a shallow one, but I could see people also saying today, well, what you guys are saying is, you just do your job and you don't fight for for change in the world. Well, I would push back a couple. Like the classic accusation against Lutheranism of quietism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I would push back against that in a, in a number of ways. Um, 
number one, um, if you go down that road where everybody is going to be the warrior, whether it's a social justice warrior or it is fighting for uh, gun rights or you name it on the right, just to, just to make sure it's fair here. Um, if you go down that road, um, you have, first of all, you have um, a whole lot of generals and no soldiers. Hmm. <laughs> Number two, there's often a reason why you're not called to do those things. You may not be, let's just, I don't, you know what I mean, you may not be that smart. And, and I say this in a, in a room with three faculty members at a small liberal arts college who are very quick to criticize the board and the business people. <laughs> and as the one quickest <laughs> yeah. to do so, um, I will say that when Michael says you may not be that smart, he doesn't mean, or I don't think you mean smart in general, but like the for smartness that for that thing. Yeah, thing. yeah. Or maybe in general. Now, right. But uh, it, yes, it could yeah. be in general. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it's also, vocation is very, very, very clear. I, that's a dumb way to say it, but the way we think about vocation, we, we often make a, a very clear point. You have a call, and you don't have the call that the guy next to you has. Now you have a call as a brother and sister in Christ, a citizen, or whatever, but you, you have to trust that God is going has got the right person for the job. It may blow up because we mess that up. I don't know. That's God's business, not my business. And this is the ethical component of vocation. That's God's business, not my business. And, and it's not our job to tempt fate. That doesn't mean that we just elect any one department head when that election comes, whether or not they have the gifts, just because willy-nilly God will use whoever. It's yeah. okay. We're in a phase where we need like organizational yeah. responsibility and a lot of forums and stuff done. So we elect <laughs> the Reverend yeah. Dr. <laughs> Michael Burke. But it, that, it's not because sometimes in the church you'll hear the accusation too. Well, people just say, well, God can use anyone. So we just will throw anyone yeah, yeah, yeah. in the ministry. That's not what we're saying. No. And I think. Because it's some people's yeah. vocation to be discerning about that. And, and your grand idea, my grand idea, like I just had with, you know, how to, to think about. Um, you know, universal health care, if you have it or not. <laughs> Plenty of people are going to be like rolling their eyes, right? Like that's like why it, I'm not in charge of it. it though, yeah. That's not why I'm not, I'm not in charge of it. I have an opinion about that. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something to be said about that. But I don't know, you know, all the the, the economics of all of this and, and, and the leg legalities of all of this. Right? That's why I'm not in charge of it. In America, we got to, I think, you know, maybe count a blessing once in a while that at least we... We, we can say our opinions and, and, and vote our opinions on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not to the, uh, with, yep. with a whole lot of uh, uh, results, but we're allowed to do that. Um, but here's the bigger issue with that criticism is, if you're going to say you're not, you're not doing your job unless you are going 100 yards for this thing, and constantly making a stink until this thing is fixed, right? Which is kind of a very American thing. Like you just go, you know, you just keep going until until it, it actually is solved and don't let anybody get in your way. You are the individual hero. It's like the old right. Winston Churchill quote that Americans will always do the right thing after they've tried everything else. <laughs> like we have this compulsion to yeah. just keep doing, 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 doing. 
which is admirable in a certain in yeah. a certain respect as well. Yeah. But um, this often uh, falls into I'm just going to point the finger at everybody else who has has not done done what is right. And by the way, I I think that's that's valuable. This kind of like the counter reaction to that is don't criticize anybody. Uh, you know, honey instead of vinegar, that kind of stuff. No, you got to call out stuff, right? You got to call stuff out. Um, but if you're going to go down that road and that road is going to be so you can be satisfied that you did enough, either, and this is what the law does, either you fall into despair or delusion, delusion that you actually are pretty good or despair and you realize how much you have left undone. And so... If you're going to be the person who is going to make a big stink about this particular economic thing and fairness in the world, which I think we should do actually more of in a certain respect, I'm becoming more and more like Wade on that. <laughs> but if I'm doing that for my own righteousness, well, um, there is not an article of clothing that I have ever worn. There is not a road that I've ever driven on. There is not a, a product that I have purchased where somebody didn't get screwed, right? And uh, so, and go I ahead. Can I add yeah. one thing to that? I think, in addition to that, you know, there's that idea of um, me being the the arbiter of my own good yeah, works yeah. in the sense of that if that this is this is clearly the best work mm -hmm. for me to do and. Um, which is kind of like what Luther is talking about with the the monks in the monasteries, right? So they think they think that they're doing mm -hmm. they they think that what they're doing is the very best, but how much more so uh, is the you know mother feeding her child yeah. or something like that? So so again, I think there's just that in addition to the mm -hmm. the, the very um, practical down to earth points. I think there is that that um, spiritual component of you know, recognizing too that it's not up to me to dictate to God, in a sense, what my best good work will be. Absolutely, that's a great point. And and the other thing too is like the again the self-flagellation of, okay, it's very, uh, it can be at times in American's history, not just today, not just the 1960s, but many other times where it's very popular to say America is pretty much the worst thing that has ever happened to the world. And um, and so that's clearly a hypocritical because you benefit quite a bit from it. <laughs> Be a historical and, and and you know like all of a sudden now you're like a you know poli sci major. You've you've yeah. actually studied this, and I'm sure have traveled extensively yeah. to experience <laughs> right. all the all the different systems right. and right. countries. Right. And, uh, yeah, and this is a lame attempt to make yourself look righteous. Yeah. Um, or have said, well, America has done this and has built off it. Name one group of people, especially one nation state, yep. right? You are not going to find that, right? Now, that doesn't, and the other side of the spectrum maybe is. Maybe Luxembourg, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> on the other side of the, <laughs> the other side of the spectrum, the other side of the spectrum is when you make your, your nation state your God and it becomes heterodox to speak anything against that god right and so it can at there at times when a blind patriotism um is the problem 
uh, what's unique in our time right now is maybe both of those are the problem right mm-hmm. now. A blind patriotism where the nation state becomes your your divine because it, it's divine because it gives your identity. It's your number one thing. It has rituals and sacredness to it. Um, I, I always get a kick out of like people who are like just not going to do, just scoff at anything that seems liturgical or serious in the church. <laughs> but then there's the American flag, and then there are very strict liturgical rules. And then they or, really care if you kneel or stand. Yeah, and I'm like, or, wait, wait a minute, you've been... <laughs> You haven't been kneeling at Christ for decades. <laughs> like I, yeah. So the students, like, at WLC, we love our students at WLC, and there is a relaxed atmosphere and stuff like that. But there is, uh, there is not, you can wear a hat in chapel at WLC, and nobody's going to look back. So, and I don't want to make a big stink about it, but what I talk about in Christ and culture, this very issue about making your nation state your God. You are what you worship, right? James K. Smith. Um, it may not be your nation state, but that's a kind of an e- easy example. It may be a job. It may be your family, whatever. And uh, I say, and talk about these liturgical things. I'm like, you guys won't even take your hat off in chapel. <laughs> right? Yeah. But there is a, but I bet you some of you would be appalled if somebody purposely did not take their hat off at a, you know what I mean? Like, this is, a, this is not about, this is not about you got to take your hat off or not. This is pointing out that you have taken your uh, spiritual seriousness and put it into a penultimate thing, and you are going to be disappointed. So, again, going back to the original point, uh, I do vocation here. Uh, you doing your job in front of you where God is calling you and trusting him is not insignificant, Right? And if you think it is insignificant and you need to do something more significant, I'm almost willing to, uh, uh, to, uh, to predict that it will blow up in your face or you will become super annoying, a resounding gong, hmm. because you are just trying to, you're just pointing the finger at these laws hypocritically. Um, or Might you also become a clanging symbol? Yeah. Oh, yeah okay. or, or you're going to give up. And you're going to fall into nihilism, right? Because Which I there's think no is, way you can be the savior. If you're going to be yeah. the savior, you're going to fall into, into to a nihilistic thing. And, and uh, uh, well, I, I won't go down that road. It, but I think that is one of the great temptations of our age, especially for Gen Z. Um, and <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a great connoisseur of memes, mm-hmm. and I especially like the, uh, the Unless, dank ones. Unless they're sent to you uh, via the gram. Yeah. But there is, um, I think they're really good. Some of them are really good at seeing through all the shtick now. Uh, but um, the challenge is if there's nothing to replace that, mm-hmm. it just becomes a, um, not in, in the worst kind of nihilism, a uh, frivolous nihilism. Right. Uh, and, here, I think, is where Nietzsche is helpful. At some point, we have to talk Nietzsche in this. Uh, Nietzsche like lays plain a lot of this, and people will read him and think, oh, Nietzsche's a nihilist. No, Nietzsche's saying, like, this is what it leads to. Like, guys, do you see? So he says God is dead, and he doesn't mean that in a, in a way that he's happy. He's like, what's going to replace this? And everything he fears that will try to replace it is what we've tried. Um, and so I think uh, that, that nihilism is a... 
a real dangerous logical consequence, um, especially for those who have been reared in um, what has been a couple decades of focus on on sweeping change. Uh, maybe this hit on this, and then um, and of those <coughs> things that we've tried so far, how have they worked out? Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, maybe just I'll just briefly mention, then we'll have to wrap up here in a, a little bit, but. Uh, we also, we're, we're blessed um, to be on the third floor here at WLC in, in the School of Humanities. Um, but as um, academics who work in the humanities, maybe it's here worthwhile um, to just briefly note the humanities have largely um, dug their own grave by falling into a lot of what we've talked about today um, for decades now. People will complain, well, no one wants to major in the humanities um, people uh, don't like gen eds at different schools. This isn't so much the case here, but it, especially at big universities. Um, and I think it was at the time it began, the humanities were kind of in a, in a privileged place on a lot of campuses. Uh, it was a time in America where you wanted your kids to get a college degree and they were going to go get the classic liberal arts degree and that was good. We've moved to a time now where people specialize a lot more. Um, but the humanities in many ways kind of embraced this identity of we're going to be righteous, we're going to find our causes, um, we're going to be change agents. It wasn't enough just to teach. Um, you had to be disruptive. We're going to use our academic freedom um, to basically uh, lead people to question, which isn't a bad thing, but but question in a way that has become basically undermined. Which is ironic because then you're making these soldiers that don't really have free will because you don't right. teach them how to think. And and nothing has been put in place other than discussions about power um, to replace the void of everything else that's been torn down. And so what we've we've what we've created is is what an atmosphere that's largely simply just about power and the whole value of liberal arts. Um, education is supposed to be to avoid such a thing, um, to make you a truly free person. Um, and so, uh, you know, sometimes I will be defensive of the humanities and people, why would anybody want to major in this or that, you know, basket weaving, you know, pick your thing they'll throw out there. Uh, but sometimes I can't defend it because we, we've kind of, we've done it to ourselves. Um, and, uh, and we've done this uh, by seeing students not as faces, but as just a part of this grand project um, that that we feel has come upon us as uh, whatever we might be. Um, I'm thankful that's not the case here, uh, at least that I have discerned on the third floor. You have uh, not been successful in getting a basket weaving major right. added to the to the program, but it has been come the case in many places yeah, and in yeah. higher ed, um, and I would say not as a force. Um, for good, it, it's it's sent out people, as Mike said, with some major blind spots. Um, I'm going to give you each one as we prepare to wrap up here. Um, these are from Mr. Seeger, so a colleague of Michael's, a teacher of my um, children at Wisco. And you're going to have to give me a moment to to prep, but um, we'll do two more Wells words. And I'm very appreciative um, that these were sent along. So thank you, Josh, and encourage listeners if they have some that they would like to send to do so. I'm going to make sure this isn't going to play an ad or something that's going to get us in trouble. <coughs> okay. And uh, Michael, why don't uh, you go ahead and read yours first? 
Boy pioneers. <laughs> or girl pioneers. Or girl pioneers. Now, uh, for those who may not know what that is, um, that is uh, the Wells version of Scouts. Yeah. So there's a lot of history behind that, and I would say history that makes sense. We were kind of yeah. proven right about some of these, yeah. Yeah. some of you these could, concerns. You could also, you know, I mean, if you want to be, let's go the full-on Lutheran boy pioneers or Lutheran. By the way, that, that yeah. would be a great yeah. meme that only a few people would get. Be like. Told you so, like a picture of, <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> told you so. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. All right, so, Michael, thank you for that. And now, uh, Jason, would you like to give us the second one? Fully, or maybe now we should say truly human. Jason, would you like to explain that one? That was uh, in the uh, version of the Nicene Creed that is used in Christian worship. Uh, that was the chosen or preferred phrase for the um, Christ was made Came man. man. And so we won't we won't get into is that good or bad or the right. theology of it um, but we will just say that is if someone's a visitor to our church they're going to trip up there. In fact, I don't know about you gentlemen, but I am still tripping up there. Um, well, I've been saying the fully human and then yeah, now it's truly human. Because it was fully in the 93 version and now in the oh, truly. now it is truly. I and still don't have the correct Lord's Prayer. I got like <laughs> Multiple versions in my head. Well, I was in the parish that I served. We had always used the, which was really a mess up for me. We'd always use the the updated version. So anytime I would say it out loud, I would say that. But anytime I'd say it in my head, it'd still be the traditional one. And then here at the college, we used the new. But now at the church where I go is uh, traditional. And I don't, I don't mind updating that. Yeah. But that version, updated version, does not flow. It's just a bad. Like. Nobody wordsmith that one. No. Like, I don't know who came up with that, but they were not an English major. Oh, and I mean... I mean, and it's the same contemporary one almost everyone. It's yeah. not like a Wells no, know, came but, up with, but yeah. But that... Who did yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. Like, you could do... Agree. You could have done that better. And of all... <laughs> and of all the words to leave... Hollowed. Yeah. The yeah. one word that nobody knows we're right. going to keep that yes, one. exactly. And you guys are on the same wavelength there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we um, we thank you for listening. I know we went a little bit long today. I thank Michael and Jason for um, indulging me with the topic. I think you guys made some good points, and I appreciate it. Um, I hope uh, all of you, um, as we just recently celebrated the Ascension and we're making our way to Pentecost, mm-hmm. um, where we remember that the Spirit has, uh, has now come, has been given to the church um, to set us free and to set us free with words to speak and with love. Um, and so in the light of that, that we have an ascended Christ who guides all things, a spirit um, who is at work through us, wherever we might be and whoever our neighbor might be that God sends into our life, uh, we hope that you will join us in letting the bird fly. Another round, another round, another round, one more round won't get me down.